the market is pretty comfortable that inflation will get under control. The question is at what price? Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Under the cloud of a potential recession, investors are looking for shorter-term solutions such as money market ETFs to weather the storm with rate protection. In today's episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host Kevin Prince discuss which direction the sideways market will go. They also look at income-oriented ETFs, oil and gas markets, and Canadian housing. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, this is Kevin Prince, and welcome back to Views from the Desk. Look forward to having you join us today and hear insights from our respective portfolio managers about what's going on this week in the markets and their views and respect towards that. I have joined me here today, Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney. Thanks, guys, for joining me today. Got a couple of questions coming in from advisors last week and some students too, for that matter. And what I want to highlight is some of those questions and, and pick your brain on those. So first and foremost, of course, fixed income. Let's start there. There's a 1% increase we know last week from the Bank of Canada. So let's take a little look here, how fixed income reacted in the market to that kind of more historic announcement. I think I really want to take a more look at the kind of the short term of the yield curve and short term solutions out there. So maybe I can ask uh, Alfred if I can, how did uh, our shorter term solutions like our money market ETF, ZMMK, or our short term solutions like ZST, ZUS, uh, how do they do relative to that range change? And maybe get some also insights from you on what the uh, the current yields are, please. Just going back to that jumbo rate hike by Bank of Canada, definitely came as a surprise. I think, you know, the market was pricing in. There was enough chance that there was going to be a 100 basis point rate hike, uh, but the market was anticipating pretty much a 75 basis point rate hike uh, in line with what the Fed did about a month ago. Uh, but the impact to ZST, I would say, was pretty minimal. So the Bank of Canada announcement was back on July 13th. So just looking at the day-over-day change of ZST, from July 12th to July 13th, um, it's pretty much flat. There's down eight basis points, three cents uh, to the NAV, uh, which was minimal, I would say. You know, one thing I would point out is that, you know, when you look at all the holdings in the portfolio in ZST, any kind of a rate shock to the portfolio is going to be superficial in nature because we're holding all the bonds until maturity. It doesn't really matter what happens to interest rates, right? Rates can go up, rates can go down. Uh, the bonds held in the portfolio ultimately end up at par value anyway. The benefits of rising yields to ZST, however, is that as yields go up, you know, new bonds are purchased into the portfolio at a lower price and then hence a higher yield coming into the portfolio. So ZST, the yield to maturity on this one right now is 3.4%. Uh, so it's come a long way from you know a year ago, two years ago, when you know, it was yielding 20 basis points, 50 basis points. So pretty um, healthy yield in ZST right now. But as I mentioned, as, as yields go up, ZST, the yield on ZST will naturally go up as well. So we often get the question of, you know, how does this compare to a GAIC? 
which has a fixed rate. The good thing with ZST is that the yields, as I mentioned, would, would naturally rise as yields go up. That's one of the major benefits of ZST. So unlike a GIC, which is basically fixed on a certain rate. Um, and also with the liquidity of ZST, I think this is why a lot of advisors and PMs like to use this product over a GIC. Uh, with many GICs, um, you know, you may be getting a few more basis points in yield. And I looked at some of the credit unions, GICs offered there. Yield is a little bit higher, but keep in mind you're locked in for a year as well. So, you know, let's take, for example, if the equity market starts to rally, um, something like a ZST or a ZMMK will allow you to easily liquidate, move out of that position and into back into the equity market. So um, let's say, for example, yields remain flat, ZST yields maybe, you know, 10 basis points, maybe 20 basis points less than the GIC. But if the equity market, you know, moves potentially 10%, the way I see it is that if the GIC, you know, you can't easily liquidate that, but you potentially give up, you know, that equity market upside just for an extra 10 basis points in yield. But just going back to the impact on the other ETFs, uh, ZMMK was basically unchanged. This one is designed to have a little, you know, more of a stable NAV. Uh, yield on that one is yield to maturity on ZMMK is 2% right now. And then looking at ZUS.U, uh, which is the U.S. equivalent of ZST, you know, obviously that's not going to be impacted by the Bank of Canada rate change. But just going back to June 15, which was the FOMC meeting, uh, not really much of an impact there. The 75 basis points was largely priced into the market. But ultimately, when you look at ZUS, it's the same thing. Uh, because we're holding all the bonds until maturity, any kind of a rate shock is going to be superficial in nature. Everything will end up at par value. But again, you're getting that rate protection because as yields rise, we're going to be buying bonds into the portfolio at a lower price and hence a, a higher yield as well. But you know, all these products, ZST, ZUS.U, ZMMK, I think are you know necessary products in today's market where you know a lot of portfolio managers, a lot of advisors require that nimbleness and getting in and out of the market. Alfred, that's great. I great to highlight that we're holding those bonds to maturity with inside the, the ZST and the ZUS. Absolutely, because that does give you kind of a, a cushion for any potential rate shocks in the marketplace. Plus, you know, they've had more of a sure assuredness going forward. Would you like to hear more from BMO Global Asset Management's team of investment experts? Check out the BMO Market Insights podcast. These timely, client-friendly episodes deliver the latest news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing, with a focus on exchange-traded funds. Available now at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca, or on your favorite podcast platform. All right, so... Let me shift gears a little bit here, too. Now, let's talk a little bit more about equities now. Chris, let me bring you into the conversation here. You know, if you look at what's been going on in the market for the last little while, and I'd say kind of since mid-June, um, you've kind of seen more of a sideways market. And I guess my question for you and from the audience here is, what would move this in a direction, either up or down? So what do you see that would break that direction? And then the second part of that is, what are some of your thoughts while the market is finding this direction, please? Sure, Kevin, and a uh, few things to go through there. So first, let's let's take a look at what is happening in the equity markets. As you mentioned, a little bit of a sideways move or a little bit of a bounce off the bottom, uh, so to speak, um, that we've seen here in the last few weeks. 
um, and then and then what would cause that to move um, either way. You know, let's take a look at what the market's um, concerned about right now. I think the, the concern from the markets has moved past inflation and into growth and a potential recession. Um, you know, going back to that jumbo rate hike we were talking about, as Alfred mentioned, that was a little bit of a surprise um, to the markets. You know, the market was pricing in 75 basis points. And so in the short end, we saw rates rally or rates move up uh, significantly. But in the long end, you know, 10 years and out, um, you know, rates are essentially unchanged since before that Bank of Canada announcement. And so that's the market telling us that, uh, you know, they're comfortable that inflation will eventually get under control over the long term. You know, it might take one or two years of, of higher prints to, and, and higher uh, yields and rates um, to get that down. But, you know, over that 10-year time horizon and longer, the market is pretty comfortable that inflation will get under control. You know, the question is at what price? You know, do we have to enter a recession um, in order um, to get that under control? And so this is what the market's dealing with right now. And we're going to, we are going to be in this holding pattern until there's some evidence of, uh, of what that scenario is going to be. Or is it going to be that so-called soft landing where we can bring inflation down and growth down but not enter that recession? Or is it going to be a bit more of a hard landing? So in terms of what to look for, um, in, in, in terms of what direction that market's going to move next, you know, the upcoming earnings season, I think, is going to be pretty important, not just for, you know, the earnings that we see and are they starting to slow down already, but also for the outlook from some of these companies in terms of what they're expecting in the second half and sort of that future path of, of earnings and earnings growth. So, you know, a couple of things to look for. Again, look at what those earnings are and what the outlook is. You know, let's look for signs of what inflation is doing. So is it coming down or is it peaking? Um, you know, if we see inflation continuing to move higher and higher, um, that's just going to lead to further rate hikes and a higher uh, probability of a recession or, or a harder landing. Um, so let's assume, you know, inflation does stay under control. Let's take a look at what those earnings and that earnings outlook is going to be. Um, are they forecasting a bit more of a harder time coming up ahead uh, in, in the coming months uh, to end of 2022 and into 2023. In terms of what we can do while we're waiting for this to play out, you know, there's a few different ways investors can take this. You know, if you're looking for broad market exposure, you know, S&P 500, ZFP or, or ZCN, Canadian Composite, but you're not sure now is the time to get in, you know, do we revisit those lows? Do we go a little bit lower? What you can do is set up a schedule, really, between now and the end of the year and ease into the market on a, on a regular basis, you know, whether that's on a monthly basis or semi-monthly, you know, moving that cash back into the market on a regular basis. That sort of dollar cost averaging concept allows you to get back into that market exposure, but not worry about the timing of, uh, you know, are, 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 am I going to buy in and then the market's going to drop down another 10%. So you can ease into the market and kind of spread out that risk. Another couple things you can do is lean into more income-oriented solutions, and that's you know what we like to call getting paid while you wait. Um, so investing in things like covered calls that are more about premium-oriented solutions so that even if the market isn't rallying from here over the next six months or so, at least you're getting a nice distribution off of that portfolio um, through dividends and through those option premiums. You know, in a similar fashion, you know, a premium yield ETF like ZPay um, you know, can earn that premium for you. And it doesn't need an upward market necessarily um, to earn a return for investors. So that's another thing to look at. Um, and then lastly, um, the other lens to look 
through for this is on a factor basis, um, you know, staying invested in the market, but utilizing factors to adjust your exposure a little bit. You know, for example, if you're concerned about another leg down, um, investing in our low volatility suite, so ZLU, for example, uh, in the U.S. or ZLB for Canadian exposure, really gives you that market exposure, but for more recession-proof type sectors and, and industries um, that have a little more downside cushion to them, less growth potential, but will protect you on the downside, um, you know, if the market does take another leg lower. And then lastly, for investors that do want growth potential, uh, we think the quality factor is the one that will give you the most upside uh, in terms of the coming months and quarters. If there is a recession, if there is a significant slowdown, those quality-oriented companies will be the ones that can weather that storm the best, so to speak, and then come out the other side uh, with the best growth potential. So that's a few different ways to play it over the coming months. No, thanks for that, Chris. And I appreciate the fact that you jumped in there and gave us some thoughts in around easing in the market, some income approaches, and even some look at the respective factors so that people can participate in the market right now while it is finding that direction. Guys, we got a couple questions for you coming in in regards towards sectors. Certainly been some movements in the last little week or some uh, events last little week. So let's have a, a finish up the discussion here around sectors and hopefully get you both in on the conversation here on sectors. First and foremost, let's talk about oil and gas. Now, we know that Biden uh, went to the Middle East last week, and what we didn't see is any major announcements come out from his trip. And so I guess we look back at that and start to say, what does that really mean for Canadian oil and gas and like a ZEO kicker for that matter? Guys, your thoughts, please. Sure, I can jump in on that one as well. And yeah, you know, Biden going to the Middle East, that was really, you know, more for show um, than anything else, more of a political move, I would say, to show or to, you know, illustrate that, you know, the administration is, um, you know, not doing nothing in terms of very, very high gas prices and oil prices. They're trying to do something there. You know, I don't think there was ever any expectation that there would be an announcement coming out of that meeting, um, but it's really to sort of, you know, thaw the relationship between Americans and Saudis, particularly with the, the current administration and, and some of the things they've, they've mentioned or, or discussed in the past about the Saudi regime. And so a bit of a thawing of relationship there. You know, probably what's more important to the markets is the August 3rd uh, OPEC meeting upcoming you know, they're expecting or it's expected that there might be some announcement there of an incremental increase um, in production. I don't think um, any market participants are really expecting a significant in increase in production, but something incremental there to, to certainly help out um, in terms of, uh, you know, increasing supply that we're seeing globally. Uh, and then, you know, of course, also further down into the year, um, further down into December, um, that's when European sanctions kick in into Russian um, energy. And so, you know, this is really going to be one of those turning points where um, globally, are we going to be able to find enough supply um, to to supply not just North America, but Europe in the face of, you know, Russia kind of not necessarily turning off their tasks, but uh, Europe basically saying, um, you know, we, we don't want to be reliant on this on this anymore. So, it's a very tight market still structurally. You know, we, we've obviously seen, um, you know, a very high oil price, and that's come back down to around $100 a barrel or so. You know, you can make the case that that will go back up in the winter, but I, I don't think you necessarily need that um, for an investment like ZEO. You know, as I mentioned, you know, structurally the market is already tight. If you take a look at the forward curve for, for WTI oil, um, you know, that sort of North American benchmark price, 
Um, you know, it's pricing in $80 plus oil through the rest of 2023 and even $70 or above all the way through 2026. And so, you know, you're looking four or five years out now with um, oil prices that you can lock in right now at over $70. And for Canadian oil producers, you know, they're very profitable at a $70 to $80 oil price. Um, you know, the cash flow that, that can come off of some of these companies is very attractive. So, you know, we've seen a strong move up in ZEO's price, and we've seen that come back a little bit off the peak. Um, but, you know, at an oil price between $70 and $80 over the next few years, uh, these still represent very strong uh, companies that can pay off a very decent dividend. Um, you know, you're not necessarily going to get the huge growth that we've seen um, to start this year. You know, most of that move, I would say, is probably done. Um, but you can still get a very um, comfortable return. And again, this is looking out over the next several years or so. Um, and then, you know, even just looking out even beyond that 2026 time frame, um, as far as the uh, oil futures market goes, it doesn't really go below $65 um, at all at, over any time period. So we're looking at sustained higher oil prices. Again, they don't have to move up back up over $100, $120 uh, for oil companies to be profitable. They just have to sustain at a, at a higher level, and that's what we're seeing right now going forward. Chris, thanks for that. I mean, I really appreciate the fact you're taking a look at the highlighted some upcoming key dates, the August and December dates, but also taking a look at that forward curve there or forward um, direction of the oil and gas market. And, and then the fact that we're going to see higher prices going forward, so that should lead towards that higher cash flow and potentially stable and stronger dividends going forward. So that's interesting. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 14 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at BMO's premium yield ETF, ticker ZPAY, ZPAY, an innovative options strategy with equity exposure designed to inherently buy low and sell high, all the while yielding tax-efficient cash flow. Let me also take a look at coming back to that rate increase, right? Because one of the key things we hear about in the sector market is rate increases, and we hear you know, there's certainly an impact that is thought around housing. And, of course, the Canadian marketplace, people always look at our banks when it comes to housing. So maybe give us some thoughts, I guess, out there about with the rates moving up, what's the thought on housing, the impact of housing, and more specifically how that impacts banks and, you know, as it relates towards our, our ZEB ETF. I think that's one of the million dollar questions right now is, you know, what is going to be the impact on the housing market? Um, you know, you got to figure that higher rates are going to have an impact on housing. Um, when you look at, you know, a lot of the COVID response policies, um, you know, lower rates, um, quantitative easing definitely made a lot of the housing prices go parabolic. Um, so you could only figure that if we are going to reverse a lot of these policies through higher rates and through quantitative tightening, a lot of that froth is going to come out of the market, especially in the secondary home market. So things like cottages, uh, summer homes, we're already starting to see that already, um, just because a lot of people, um, you know, are being called back to the office, uh, work from home to a degree is over. So a lot of people are, you know, shedding a lot of those secondary homes, and you're starting to see supply start to build up there. Uh, the primary home home market, I think, you know, is going to take a hit as well. Um, I think in that market, it's going to be a little bit more delayed. Um, just because, you know, people aren't really feeling the stress there yet. But when it comes time to refinance a lot of those mortgages, 
you know, they'll likely or very quickly find out that, you know, the five-year fix, I think, is around 45 to 5% right now, um, you know, a far distance to, you know, the 1.3% that I think it was a year and a half ago. Um, so once they have to refinance a lot of those mortgages, I think a lot of these households are going to be a lot more stressed when it comes to the monthly payments, uh, not to mention when you look at the household debt in Canada, still at historical levels as well. So that's going to put a lot of stress on um, just, you know, consumer demand, but just not uh, not only, um, you know, demand for mortgages overall. So, you know, that's going to impact the banks. Um, definitely will have, a, um, you know, an, an impact on the Canadian banks as uh, on a whole, but a couple of things to consider. You know, the housing prices are definitely frothy at this at this level in Canada. Um, but I think you know what we're seeing now, in, in you know a lot of the froth coming out of the market is actually healthy for the Canadian um, housing market. You know what we're seeing now is is not at all similar to what we saw in the U.S. in 2008. You know, first and foremost, when you look at the quality of the mortgages out there in Canada, all high quality mortgages, so no subprime up here. Uh, when you look at the demographics of the market, there's a supply shortage just in terms of there's already a, um, a shortage of supply, but there's a lot of new immigrants coming into Canada as well. So there's a lot of demand uh, for housing. And when you look at the labor market, there's not a whole lot of new houses being put on the market as well. Um, so overall, I think that demand and supply over the long term in terms of Canadian housing is still very strong. Uh, but more importantly, when you look at you know, what's priced into the Canadian banks already, I think a lot of that is already priced into the market. So if you look at the P ratio of ZEB, it's trading at 8.7 times earnings, compare that to the TSX, which is trading at a 14.7 times earnings, already it's trading a 40, you know, at a 40% discount to the bank or 40% discount to the market. So I think a lot of that's already priced in. Um, yield of ZEB right now is 4.8%. And historically, you know, we mentioned on the podcast last week, I, I believe, you know, any time the yield is above four, historically has been a good uh, entry point. Um, and, you know, just putting my technician hat on, you'll like this one. Um, banks do exhibit a lot of seasonality, as you pointed out to me, I think a week ago. Uh, the back half of the year tends to be strong for the banks. And I think this is, you know, has a lot to do with the fiscal year end. Um, you know, the fiscal year end for the banks is October. Uh, very often the banks surprise to the upside, and I think that's why they exhibit a lot of seasonality, especially in the months of October and November. Um, so a lot of reasons to like the banks at this point. As I mentioned, a lot of that negativity has already been um, priced into the banks. When you look at the fund flows of ZEB, um, $850 million into ZEB so far uh, this year. So I think a lot of investors from our institutional clients or retail clients or direct clients Definitely seeing a lot of value in the Canadian banks at this point. Please, the highlight of the seasonality. I, I something I, I certainly do watch, and you know, it's interesting to hear about the froth coming out of the out of the uh, housing market, and then, then the cascading impacts the banks really being more kind of priced in at this point. So, interesting to watch that going forward, and hopefully that seasonality stays in place. Gentlemen, that's uh, the questions I have in for this week. I want to thank you both, Alfred and Chris, for joining this week. I want to thank the listeners for taking the time to join us for the views from the desk. And I'm going to encourage you to join us again next week and hear some further insights coming from the audience itself. Cheers. Have a good weekend. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETS podcast. 
Today, we heard about the BMO Low Volatility Canadian Equity ETF, ticker ZLB, which provides a downside cushion through exposure to a low beta weight portfolio of Canadian stocks. Our experts also discussed the BMO Money Market Fund ETF series, ticker ZMMK, which features high-quality exposures to corporate and government-backed securities, as well as a high level of liquidity. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.